a young girl uh, in between services ran me down outside and she said, Pastor Will, Pastor Will, I have a question. And her mother was with her and I said, sure, ask, ask me anything. She said, how do, I, how do I know if God is speaking to me? Wow, that is a great question. Uh, very simple question. How do, I, how do I listen to someone who's talking to me? But one of profound eternal consequence. How do I know if the God of the universe is speaking to me? And I said to her, just kind of on, on the spot, I said, well, God speaks to us through his, his word and through his people by his spirit. And as I reflected later that week, I thought, you know, there's one other thing I'd like to say to that young lady. And so I wrote her a letter and I said, you know, thanks for your question. Thanks for your courage to approach me and ask me that. But I'd like to add to that that God also speaks to us through the witness of creation. That God speaks to us through creation, through his word, by his spirit, through his people. And, but then as I reflected more, many of you who know me, it's like I never can let something just rest as is. I'm always mulling it to its nth degree. Uh, I thought, what, what happens to us as we get older and more mature that we lose that childlike curiosity about God, about what he says and what he does? Because we know it's true, right? We, we tend to lose that. We get sophisticated. And then as the, weeks, as the week went on, two bombshell things happened this week that you all know about. First was the horrific murder of 19 children in Texas. A gunman went into an elementary school and shot 19 children. And then you may have heard that a bombshell report came out from the Southern Baptist Convention of sexual abuse and 700 named abusers that were never dealt with, still around and the untold victims, many of whom were children. And then, as Mark mentioned, we're celebrating Memorial Day, which is the commemorating holiday for the fallen soldiers of our country who have fought hundreds of thousands of men and women who have fought wars and conflicts for our nation. So my heart's been heavy as I think about what's happened to families and children, but as I also contemplate no doubt the evil in our world snuffs out our imagination. And I want that to be true, but there's a lot of other things that happen to us as we grow that cause our imagination, our creative mind about God to be snuffed out. And so I said, Lord, let's spend a Sunday letting our imagination run wild about the faithfulness of God. So that's what I intend to do because it's not just evil and wickedness that squelch out God's faithfulness. One of my mentors, Ed Friedman, says this, a chronically anxious culture causes imaginative gridlock. He says a culture that is full of stress and anxiety snuffs out imaginative, creative thinking because they're so stressed. Or my favorite rock band is Rush, and they have a song called Subdivisions, And one of the lines in subdivision says, the suburbs have no charms to soothe the restless dreams of youth. Sometimes the predictable, repeatable, monotonous, cookie-cutter environment of the suburbs can squelch out creativity and imagination. Or scientist Charles Meisner, who studied in the field of general relativity, was speaking about Einstein And he said, I believe that Einstein was a generally religious man, but he had no use for organized religion because he looked at what the preachers said about God and felt they weren't talking about the real thing. 
He had seen much more majesty through his telescope than ever a preacher had spoken. My guess is he just simply felt that religions he had run into did not have proper respect for the author of the universe. So perhaps our view of God and our quest to be our own God has caused us to shy away from seeing the greatness of God, namely his faithfulness. So this morning, let me invite you to let your imagination go. To think about the faithfulness of God through the witness of creation, scriptures, and his son. This could be hard to believe, right? Is God really faithful? How can this be when 19 innocent children die in Texas? Is God really faithful when horrific abuse is happening at the hands of Christ's servants, ministers of the gospel? It's horrific. How can we believe that God is faithful when such unspeakable evil is happening all around us? Or how can we believe that God is faithful when I just monotonously go through the mundane life of suburban America? Or how can I believe that God is faithful when all I ever think about are small and unimpressive things? Well, let's change that this morning for at least 15 minutes. And let your mind run. Because I believe with all my heart that God has woven in the fabric of the cosmos faithfulness. As real as gravity is in our creation, so is faithfulness. I want to show you that. I want to show you that faithfulness is displayed in God's creation and it is meant to be applied to our lives. And we're going to do this from a very strange place, which is the book of Lamentations. God knew that our experience would be much like what happened in Uvalde, Texas, lament, and gave us a whole book of the Bible because he knew our experience on earth would be one full of lament. In fact, this book is attributed to the prophet Jeremiah as its author, and he is called the weeping prophet. This book of Lamentations is read annually in the nation of Israel on the month and on the day when the temple was destroyed and the people of God went into horrific exile in Babylon because this was their day, their memorial day of remembering that God seemed to have given them over. So they read Lamentations on that day. The book serves three purposes. One, as a protest to the pain and suffering in our world. We have a book of lamentations because we know this is not as it should be. Children should not die by guns. People under the protection of shepherds should not be abused by them. We should not suffer this way. So we have lamentations. We also have lamentations because it invites us into a process of emotions. These things are meant to engender emotional reactions, anger, fear, sadness, frustration, confusion, and lamentations. A whole book of your Bible says, that's okay. Be human. I invite you into that. And then it invites us into a place to ask the hard questions. God, where are you? Why would you do this? What's going on? And right smack dab in the middle of a book about lament is this passage. Mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Why? Because it's not in question. The stuff that happens in our world, the stuff that happens in in me and through me and to me is not the final say. God is the final say. And he says, I am faithful. All right, so let's look at this. And let's look at it through the lens of creation. 
Let me state again, the purpose of this, wherever you find yourself this morning, deep in lament, confused, chronically anxious, numbed by material, material existence, just plain disinterested, lift up your eyes and see the faithfulness of God. First, the passage says that God's mercies are new every morning. We know what happens every morning is the sun rises. Parentheses, I had a very sweet woman who is a geographer tell me the sun doesn't actually rise, Will. You know, we meet the sun. Correct. Science proven, but the sun rises every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The sun coming up every morning, or us meeting the sun, however you want to talk about it, is the greatest evidence of the simplicity of God's faithfulness. As sure as you can trust the sun being up in the morning, you can trust the faithfulness of God. No matter the affairs of the earth, the sun will faithfully rise every morning. God has woven this into the fabric of creation. Why? So that we can remind ourselves about the faithfulness of God. And proverbially speaking, we'll get into this in a minute, the S-O-N will rise eternally, dispelling all darkness. The S-U-N rising every morning is to remind you of the S-O-N who rises eternally. And we'll get to that. There is something magical about, a, about watching the sunrise. My family loves to go to the tops of mountains, to Keeneland, to different places where the sun rises in Kentucky. So pretty. Why? Because we get to experience the beauty, the stillness, the newness of the rising sun. It reminds us of God. Psalm 113 says, From the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Second, The sun rises and it dispels the darkness, but the darkness is as light to God. That's what the scriptures tell us. The faithfulness of God is seen even at night. We go outside and look at the stars. Repeatedly, the prophets tell the people of Israel, lift up your eyes, look at the stars. I have numbered all of them. I know their name. I know their place. Not one of them is out of place. The stars. NASA did not invent naming stars. God did. Why? Because they are a nighttime declaration of his faithfulness. In fact, when God wanted to seal his covenant promise to Abraham, you know what he said to him? Abraham, go outside and count the stars if you're able, because that's what your descendants will be like. The stars were an indicator that God will be faithful to his people. Friends, when you wonder if God still knows you, remembers you, knows your name, go outside tonight and lift up your head and see the stars. He knows their names and he most assuredly knows your name. If you find yourself in the depths of deep darkness, remember the Psalms that said, your steadfast Lord, love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. The sun, the moon, the stars are meant to remind us God is faithful generation to generation over and over. Third, consider the creation principle of sowing or planting and reaping, harvesting. God has put into the fabric of creation that whatever kind of seed you plant, that's the kind of fruit you get. If I plant an apple seed, I get an apple. 
I keep an acorn on my desk because I want to remember that the prophet Isaiah has told me I will be an oak of righteousness. And I know God gave me a physical example that I can look at every day. That acorn will become the Veterans Park oak tree. That's what God has told me about myself. Because God has woven into the fabric what you plant, that's what you reap. What you sow is what you reap. And this is true not just for creation, but this is true for you. Paul says, God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Why? God is faithful. If you sow seeds of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, justice, what sort of fruit do you think you'll reap? But the opposite is true, right? If you sow seeds of anger and discord and greed and fear and lust and power, what sort of fruit? Friend, the acorn becoming an oak tree is to remind you, you will reap what you sow. It's in the fabric of creation. It testifies to God's faithfulness. Lastly, consider the creation principle that transformation and growth happens through death and suffering. This is woven into creation. It's another display of God's faithfulness. To the principle of the seeds and sowing, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That acorn cannot stay an acorn if it wants to be an oak tree. It has to die. Consider the caterpillar. The caterpillar caterpillar must die. But when it dies, it's a beautiful butterfly. This is exactly what Paul had in mind when he wrote his great chapter on the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. The glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory for the sun, another glory for the moon, another glory for the stars, and the star differs from star and glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is imperishable. What is raised is what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown is dishonor. What is raised is glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. What is sown in natural body is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is a spiritual body. For this reason, it is written, the first man, Adam, was a, became a living being. The second Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. You see what Paul did? He did exactly what we're talking about. Look, lift your head up. God has woven in the fabric of his creation. Death is not the end. It's a transformation to life. Life to the fullest is what Jesus said. Friends, what we are saying is God is faithful, even in death. Death is the transformation of a perishable body to an imperishable one. The evidence of this lies in creation, but more certain is the evidence of the risen Son of God. Let's take a look, not just at the creation 
But let's take a look at the Lord of creation and how he in his body embodies everything we're talking about. This is the last chapter of your Bible. Listen to this. Let your mind, let your mind race here. Envision what I'm reading. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads, and and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign with him forever. No more sun? Why? Because you get God. Light eternal. How is this possible? Because Jesus came. Consider this. Jesus is the light of the world. No need for God to display his faithfulness in the rising and the setting of the sun because his faithfulness has been risen eternally in the light of the world. As the Father has named the stars, so the Son has named his followers. My sheep hear my voice, for I call them by name. For those of us that believe our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, you can trust the faithfulness as God, as, as, of God as it's displayed in creation, but it's made all the more sure in the faithfulness to the Son. Jesus is the seed that goes into the ground and dies. Just as an acorn must die to become an oak tree, the Son of Man goes into the ground to die the death of sin that he may rise to new life. Your life is hidden now in God, in Christ, for you have died. And the life you live now in your body is in faith in the Son of God. And one day, you will be a new creation. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Death could not hold him down. His death was but the pathway to resurrection. In this way, he is the first fruits of those who fall asleep. Just as we have died with Christ, we will be raised accordingly with him to everlasting life. That is what your Bible says, and creation testifies to that, and the resurrection of the Son ensures that it happens. Friends, consider this morning. Let your imagination go how good and kind God is. I know the world is hard. I know your life is confusing. But don't mistake that for God's lack of faithfulness. He is faithful. The last part of this verse, if you want to look at it, verse 24. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The word portion there means great reward. He says, your soul says, the Lord is my reward. What is the end of all this? The end of all this is God. He is your portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. I will not hope in money. I will not hope in government. I will not hope in policies. I will not hope in spouses or children. I will hope in him. Therefore, I will sow seeds of the kingdom, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, because these are the fruit of God's spirit. As we move to take a very tangible element of God's faithfulness, the communion, I wanted to close the sermon by, by, by 
doing what I used to do to my kids every night before we'd go to bed when they were little. I would sing to them the hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'll spare you that. But what I want you to do, if you're so inclined, is to close your eyes and listen to these words and picture what they're saying as I read these as a reminder of God's faithfulness. Because what I was trying to do as a father was infuse into my kids, your life will be full of up and downs. Make no mistake about it. God remains faithful. So let's make this our closing prayer as we come to the table. And imagine in your mind, in your heart, what these words say. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Oh God, make it plain to us that you are faithful from one generation to the next. Thank you that Christ is the witness of that and the power of that. And it's in his name we pray, amen.